Today's reading is in the third chapter of James, uh, starting at the first verse, going on to 13, verse 13, that is. And uh, it's uh, James is tucked right between Hebrews and 1 Peter. Feel free to read from a Bible we have in the pews or one you brought along or just be blessed by listening. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as they which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Who is among you? Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. Father God, thank you for the pastor and the deacons you have given us. Help us to find ways to support them and to lift them up in prayer. And help us to control our tongues. And that includes our interactions on social media. I confess to being a chief offender in this area. Help us to be followers of you, both in the real world and in cyberspace. Help us to speak of the peace and love available to anyone who would repent of their sins and turn their life and will over to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and the preaching of the same. Thank you for Pastor Steve, who loves us, loves you, and loves your word. Put in his heart and mind what you would have him preach to us, and give us ears to hear and take to heart what we have heard. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all today. I like all the songs that we sang. Very, very encouraging. But I have to admit, I have my favorites. Do you have favorite songs too? So my favorite was Day by Day. I love that song. So, so encouraging. And and music is like soothing. You know what I mean? And, And hopefully the music goes with the song. But very, very encouraging. There's a verse I was thinking about. It's John 15, 2. says, Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. The word prune comes from a Greek word, catharsis. Yeah, I think you know what catharsis means. It means to cleanse, okay? And when we're here 
on this day and this Lord's Day or any time with the Lord and his word, he wants to clean us. He wants to clean us. He wants us to be ones who are holy. The, the Christian life is, a, is, is one of learning to be holy and not do what is wrong, not say what is wrong, but also then to do what is right and to say what is right. That's one way to sum up the Christian life. And so think about that. You're here this day, and God is pruning you. I, I say that because this last two or three weeks I've been pruning rose bushes at home, and yesterday you might have seen we worked on some of the road, rose bushes out front. There's more to do, but pruning is not just a matter of, of trimming. You know, that's part of it. You want to trim every year maybe a third to a fourth in terms of the external, like you cut hair, but you also thin, and you understand, I think, you know what that means with hair, you thin it out, and so that's the hard part. This, I mean, for me, uh, there's hard physical jobs when at yard work, but this is the hardest job there is, not physical, it's just difficult, uh, because these bushes, and the ones I have home are just thick, and they grow so fast internally, and to go in with your gloves and a pruning shears, and your arms are getting a little bit cut up because of the thorns. It's hard. You have to look and examine and think and, okay, which one goes? Are they crossing? They're parallel? Whatever. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult job, but God's helped me get better at it. But the thing I say that is I think with the Lord, he's perfect. He's precise. So when you get pruned, you know, when you're going through some trial, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he's cleaning you. Again, trials are for pruning. God's word is for pruning. A lot of different methods that God has to prune us, to clean us. But just think about that as you go through life, uh, that God indeed is, is pruning us. Today we're talking about speech. I talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, but I, I think on, on my notes here I have November 20th, 2022, so this is already way back then, but things got delayed. But God has given us the ability to form letters with our mouth. I, I did this exercise about it, I'm not sure, maybe last year sometime, where I went through every letter, A, B, C. And every letter I thought, clear to Z, I thought, okay, where's my tongue? Where's my mouth? You know, where are my lips? It's, it's an interesting exercise. I do not encourage you to do it. It's very A, B, C. It, it's, it's fascinating. And, and you all learned that back, you know how to do words, back when you're one or two, whenever you started to talk. But, so God's given us the ability to form letters with our mouths, the ability then to say words from these letters, and then the ability to put these words together in some type of intelligent way that makes sense by which then we can communicate with people. It's really astounding. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's a miracle, really. It's a wonderful gift, I would say, too, that God has given us then this ability to communicate to one another, to the Lord, that we can talk, that we can use speech for that. So it's a gift he's given us to humans. He's not given this kind of gift to animals. They can communicate in certain ways, but nothing like humans where we can communicate intelligently and clearly and precisely. Now, a person who's saved, who's born again, is a new creature in Christ, and that means being a new creature in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our words. And today we're talking about our speech and how God wants us to speak in a godly way, a truthful way, a loving way, and an encouraging way. And there's a lot I have to say today. And it's, again, one of those messages I could make it four or five weeks, but we're going to sum it up and tighten it up here. So a lot to cover. If we turn to Ephesians 4, introductory verses, Ephesians 4, 25, and then 29. Ephesians 4. 25 and 29. Ephesians 4:25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Then verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That verse 29, I think, is one of the most challenging verses in the whole Bible. I mean, you, you go on the Internet and you say, how many words do we speak in a day? And, you know, there's one site that says, well, the average person speaks 7,000 words. And then there's another site that says, well, women speak, they 20,000, men speak 7,000. There's debate. They speak more, not going that. But the study's interesting. They said there's basically three studies. One that says women speak more than men. Another one that says it's about the same. The other one says it depends on the situation. So I think we're probably more in that third category. It just depends. But the point is, we, that's a lot of words. If it's just 7,000 words, and what's it say here? Let no unwholesome word? That's challenging, isn't it? That's really, really challenging, to say the least. Now, the key, then, to having godly speech is to have godly thoughts. Very, this may be the most important thing to think about for this whole message right there. 
Luke 6.45, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. His mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So what you say comes from your heart. It comes from your thoughts. If you have bad speech, you got bad thoughts. If you got good speech, you got good thoughts. It's pretty, pretty simple. Proverbs 23.7, a similar thought says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. That so he is, of course, would cover both your speech and your actions. And so as you think, so you will speak. And good thoughts and godly thoughts lead to good speech and godly speech. Psalm 19. Let's, let's go there, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I just want to make a, a couple comments about it. But the, this, this psalm is, is about how God reveals himself. Okay, that's, that's the whole thought of this psalm. That is, how does God speak to us? And what we see there is God speaks to us through creation. That's the first part of the psalm. And then the rest of the part of the psalm is how God speaks to us through his word. Very, very simple. Word, of course, is God's word. It's what we all call the Bible. Why don't you look at just the last verse in this psalm. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So you see in verse 14, words and meditation, words and thoughts are both in that verse there. It talks about your words and your thoughts and how your words and your thoughts then are connected one to another. Just connected. And godly speech then, or godly, God, God is saying that godly thoughts and, and, and godly meditations then lead then to godly speech. That's what he wants to understand. And again, we see that there's that word meditation. And meditation, again, we've talked about this in the past, it just means thinking. And so your meditation, your thinking then about God's thoughts then helps you to think rightly and to speak rightly. If you might, you might like, you might hear someone who's an eloquent speaker or a powerful speaker. There's certain people you might like to listen to. They're persuasive speaker. They're a wise speaker, intelligent. Then you have comedians too, and I, I don't really like comedians. That's they're where I'm at. But I remember when I was in college, I had a speech class. The whole goal of the speech class was to help you become a more effective speaker. That's what it was for. And 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 you really need to be an effective speaker if you want to be successful in life. And I'm talking about, in a, in a sense, in a world, but also, of course, in where our real topic here is more in a spiritual sense. We need that. And our focus today, then, is, is not to be, not how to be a, a good speaker in a worldly sense, to be effective at your job, but rather to be effective as a Christian, to be spiritually successful in that manner. And God then wants us to be ones who are, are speaking for him who glorify God by our speech. Turn, to, if you're still in Psalms, turn to Psalm 34. Look how these first three verses say this. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see? Your mouth. You're praising with your mouth, and that mouth, of course, the praise comes from your heart. My soul, you got your soul, you got your thoughts, right? Your heart, your whole soul. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. That is, hear your words that come from your soul. Verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, which is part of what we do when we are here worshiping together. We are singing together. We're using our voices. We're using our speech to glorify God, which is the number one thing in life then, right? Number one thing in life is to glorify God. And the number thing we can do then is glorify God, you know, of course, by our thoughts and by our actions, but of course, also then by our speech, by our singing. And again, for this to happen, the truth of God's got to be in our heart. We need these godly thoughts. Go back to Psalm 1. You know these verses, but they relate to this discussion here. Verses 2 and 3. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So a spiritually prosperous person is one who delights in God's word. That is, he first loves it. That is, you're not going to meditate on God's word if you're not first, foundationally, loving it. So I can say all day long you need to meditate on God's word, but if you don't love God's word, you're not going to meditate. And you're not going to love God's word if you don't love God. So it all starts back with loving God, loving his word, meditating on his word, and then you can be prosperous, then you can be successful. We're talking here about your whole life, and particularly we're talking about godly thoughts then leading to godly speech. And then God says you can be successful. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 
read here about Paul and what he says about speech. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Verse 1, he says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech, very interesting, or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. It's interesting that he says that. Weakness and fear and trembling. My message and my speaking were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so what he's saying is, 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 you know, we may think of Paul being this great speaker, but not from a worldly perspective. It says he was not a superior or persuasive or wise speaker. That's what it says in these verses. Acts 17, 18, read there about Paul was in Athens, and there's these Greek philosophers, and of course, they're smart in the world sense, but they said, they called Paul this idle babbler. (laughs) That's how they described him. Babbling, of course, relates to his speech. This guy just idly babbling along about all these things. But Paul, we understand from these verses, and this is a key here, spoke by the pure spirit of God and by the power of God. And that's what made him an effective speaker. It's by the spirit of God and by the power of God. Ephesians 5.18, we know the verse says, be filled with effect. Let's turn there. We should have seen this too. Ephesians 5.18 and 19 together. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. So again, we see that connection. You're filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, then you can be one who is speaking for God, singing for God, giving thanks to the Lord. Now, no matter where you're at in life, as, as Christians, God wants you to keep growing in this area of speech. All of you have been around, I believe, as Christians for a while, and God wants you to keep growing. This should always be your desire. So, so a general application of what we said so far is, is, is you need to be keep thinking about God's truth, God's commands, God's promises, and be filled with the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit to help you to learn how to speak. And one more thing is learn from others who are godly speakers, who are good speakers, who are righteous. So there's listen to people. Oftentimes we go through life, we don't listen. I'm not, I'm not saying like Psalm 1 says, listen to the, you know, the mockers and people like that. But I'm saying listen to people who are godly. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they say it. You can learn from them. It says, it says in, it says in um, 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech... And in faith, love, and purity, show yourself as an example. What's the first word there he says to show you an example in? Speech. It's number one. I'm not saying faith and love aren't important. They are, but he says speech right there. Let no one look down on you. And so I would suggest this is for all of us here. All of us should be ones who not only speak in a godly way, but are an example to those around us. Okay? And, and to be honest, if, if you're one who's got children and you're growing up and you're not speaking in a good way, what do the children learn? Do not speak in a good way. They're really affected by us as parents. So speech is a huge subject, a huge, and I want to look at just some specific areas. The first one is, is speak the truth. I read this before, Ephesians 4.25. Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. So the first thing we learn is Christians were to speak the truth, were to tell the truth, were to be honest with people, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's at a work, or not to lie or not to even lie in a little way. Sometimes you hear people say, well, it's just a little lie. I can do that. No, don't lie. We're not to lie. We're to be ones who are always then telling the truth. And we're not to exaggerate. And we're not to share a little truth mixed with little lies, what some people call half-truths. We're to have speech that's got integrity, it's got character in our speech, whether it's, it's clear, it's accurate, it's, it's precise. That's what God wants for us. And we're not to flatter, flatter people. This is a pretty easy thing to do. You want people to like it. Dictionary, one dictionary definition said it this way. To praise excessively, especially from motives of self-interest. That is, we're not to say something nice, something flattering to someone to get them to like you. That's, that's what we're saying here. 
Now, to tell the truth is in all areas of life, every area. I mean, you're at a workplace, you're to tell the truth, you're out with friends to tell the truth, you know, at home, talking about whatever it might be, tell the truth. But, but here, again, our focus is not on talking about just truth, but let's talk about spiritual truth. And so, so one of the applications for you this morning is as you think about your life, and as particularly as you're with Christians, you want to be one who's sharing spiritual truth. I doesn't mean you can't talk about the weather people. I'm just saying we want to, we want to focus on this area of spiritual truth. You want, you want to speak to people truth from God's Word. That's the point. It's what does God say? Well, that's the kind of truth that I want to come out of my mouth, out of my heart, and out of my mouth. It could be truth. And this is from Ephesians chapter 4, first few verses, truth about God, truth about Christ, truth about the Holy Spirit, truth about your salvation, about sanctification, truth about the church, truth about hope. Many things you can talk truth about, and this is what we're trying to emphasize here this morning. Now turn to Colossians chapter 4. This is one of the most important areas when we talk about spiritual truth. Verse 4, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So we're talking here about the gospel, and we're to be ones who are looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And when you share the gospel, we're to share it in a, in a kind and, and gentle and loving way, and we share it clearly. I mean, of all the truth that we can think about as Christians, the single most important truth is the truth of the gospel. I mean, how a person understands and responds to the gospel relates to his eternal destiny, correct? Heaven or hell. We all know that. That's it. It's, it's very simple. And the one person I, I, I mentioned before in the past, but John MacArthur is probably, of all the people I know, and my wife and I have met him a few times, but in all the books he's written and all his teaching, he is most adamant about making the gospel crystal clear, understandable. And we should think that way, too, with people, as that one of our objectives with people is to share the gospel if they're unsaved, and we want to make it clear. That relates to our speech, understanding in our mind and in our hearts what the gospel is, and then by our speech, being very clear with it. That's, that's what God wants for us. That's what he desires for us, then, to be speaking in that way. So the first one, speak the truth. Next one, speak the truth in love. This is Ephesians 4.15. I believe that's actually how it says, speak the truth in love. So it's one thing to speak the truth, right? You want to share the truth in a loving way. You don't want to share it in a strong way or a harsh way or an unloving way. You don't want to share it in a way where you're, you're strong or you're forceful or you're cruel or in a way where you're trying to impress somebody. You want to share truth in a loving way. First Corinthians chapter 13. You've heard these verses before. Verse 1 says, if I speak, again with a speak, talking about speaking here. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so any, someone who shares in a way that's unloving, it's a noisy gong. And I can't help but think all of you have experienced this in your life before. You're talking to somebody. They might be sharing what's true and right, but it's just not coming out right, and it's really hard to hear. And, and as, as Christians, we should always want to receive the truth, no matter the fashion it comes out of a person's mouth. But at the same time, for us, in terms of our objective, as we're thinking about sharing, we need to be thinking about sharing the truth and speaking the truth in love. That's all I'm saying here. It says, says in 2 Timothy 2, it's at the end, I think it's verse 24 or 5. Paul says, Be kind to all, able to teach, with gentleness, correct correcting those who are wrong. So the word able to teach is the second phrase. Be kind to all, able to teach with gentleness. So what's bracketing to be able to teach is first to be kind, which is an aspect of love, and then after that is gentleness. So speaking should be bracketed, should be made encompassed in this love. Be gentle and be kind as you speak. Turn to, well, you're still in 
First Corinthians 13, maybe you are. First Corinthians 13, I'm not going to read verses 4 to 7, but it gives, I think, what, 14 or 15 different specific ways that we can love. It's a great section of, of verses that we went over, I think, a few weeks back. But this gives specific ways that you can love. And, and again, we, we're ones that, if you go through life, and I've said this before in the past, we oftentimes think about our actions, but we think about our words. You know, do we think about those 7,000 words we say every day? Do we think about our words? We need to think about our, our words, and we need to think about our words being spoken in a loving way. That's, that's all I'm saying here. Now, I, I don't know everybody's experience in the area of marriage, but I do have talked to a number of people. I have read some books in this, but typically, typically, and I think this is very, very common when you have a, a married couple, and they're that first year or two, they can have some difficulties, and one of the prime difficulties in the area of communication is speech. There's, there's whole books written on this, how to communicate with your spouse, whole books, because it's such a vital area. And when you have marriage, you have this intensity. It wasn't intense. Now you're in the same place and the same kind of thing, the same, you know, got to talk right. And, it's, it's very, and that's one of the reasons for marriage, to help people learn how to speak better, okay, to talk better, to communicate in a, in a loving, loving way. So... It'll be patient in your speech, not speak in such a way that shows that you are in a hurry or that you are irritated with a person because of something that they said or did. You're to have a kind speech, sweet speech, gentle speech. It says in Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Sweet speech. I mean, has, has anybody ever said something to you that was mean? Or harsh or cruel. I, I, I don't know if this is true in your life, but there may be something that somebody said in the past, maybe one year, maybe 10, maybe 50 years ago, that you still remember. There's something that was mean that was said to you. Okay? It was mean. <laughs> so it's just, I, I've got some examples. I'm not going to share them here. But mean words, harsh words, can stick with you for a long time. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to hurt people by our speech. You have forgiving speech, not speech where you're expressing your anger because of how a person has treated you because of something that they said or did. You be forgiving. Again, this is a key for marriage. I, I, I know marriages that fall apart because of this right here. They're not forgiving each other. And nobody's perfect. We've got to learn how to forgive and forbear. We have to learn that. That's absolutely essential. You have, have humble speech, not speech where you're boasting about yourself or talking about yourself or trying to make the other person think that you're more important than them. Not to do that. We want to showing interest in that earth or other person by what you say and by what you do. So you speak the truth in love. Next, fourth, speak encouragingly. Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and 12 and 13. Verse 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this, this, this we're talking about encouraging speech. And it's in the context you see from verse 12 of a person then who has an uh, unbelieving heart. He's not trusting God. And so we're, what we're really saying here is that a person can be discouraged because he doesn't have faith in the Lord. He's not believing the Lord. And it says here, it's pretty strong language, he, he falls away from living God. That doesn't mean you've fallen away for a week or a month or a year, but, you know, during the course of that day, you're bummed out and you're not connecting with God because you're discouraged, because you have this unbelieving heart. And so people then will be discouraged if they don't have faith, if they're not trusting God. That's, that's the point here. And that faith and trusting God, it always relates to God's words. It's not just, oh, I just trust God. No, I, I'm trusting this particular truth in God's word that relates to what's going on in my life now. You see, that's, that's the idea. You have that, that faith. It's so important. And our objective with people, and this is what it's, this is saying, is that God wants you to encourage people who are discouraged. Our objective with people who are discouraged is first to help them get their eyes off themselves. That's, that's they just think about themselves and their own problems. They're not thinking about the Lord and his truth. Help them get their eyes off themselves and onto the Lord. And then 
simply, I'm just going to say a few things very simply, then to help them to think about verses that God loves them, promises and verses and truths, and many, there's hundreds of verses that talk about the love of God. Share those verses, and then talk about how they need to trust God, maybe trust some specific aspect of God's Word. And then thirdly, hope. I'm just saying faith, hope, and love. Help them in their faith. Help them in their love. Help them understand the hope that God then has for them. That's what God wants for you. So important that we speak encouragingly. And so when you're with people, you want to, as God leads you, and you want to meet their needs. I mean, this is an important thing. You're you're with somebody. You're going to talk to some people today, maybe during lunchtime. Hopefully you're sitting there talking, not just eating, but you're talking. And, and you want to see how they're doing. And God might use you. I'm not saying this is going to happen where some particular need comes up, then you try to encourage them. But that could happen. But the point is, in our relationships, particularly the ones we're close to, people in our own little world, we want to be ones who are encouraging to them. That's what we want to do. You want to address problems that they have, and you do that then by giving them specific truth that relates to their problem. And then, pers- that then, and then helps them to personalize and to believe that truth. Again, helping them not to trust in themselves, but to look to the Lord, look to his power. And that, that one, that first song, Immortal Invisible, that's such an incredible, there's no song like that. It was, as Steve said, you know, the character of God. Helping them see the Lord and who he is. The truth about God, then, that be, would be that which encourages them. Very important, this aspect of speech. We want to have encouraging speech. A person might feel unloved. Here's a few reasons people get discouraged. They might feel lonely. They might feel hopeless. They might feel like they have no purpose. Many reasons. These are huge. A person might be a little discouraged because he feels unloved. Sometimes people feel unloved and hopeless and purposeless, all these things, and then they get depressed, okay? Depression is, is more of a heavier word than discouraged. You're depressed because all these things. He's lonely. He's hopeless. He's no purpose and stuff. And, and this, I, I, I get a little bit upset with this, but I've talked about this before as we as you know, overdo the medications in our country. And one of the biggest areas where the medications have increased in the last 20, 30 years is medicines that relate to your mind, okay? And I'm not going to go into all this stuff. And I'm not saying you can't ever take medicines that relate to your mind mentally, but you've got to be careful, very, very careful. And I think really 90% of the problems we have mentally and then it's affect our heart is, is because we don't understand God's truth about how to be encouraged. Where you're lonely, what's God say? Do not fear for I'm with you. You know, you feel in love. Well, there's plenty of verses I said on God's love. You have no purpose. Plenty of verses on purpose. You know, on hope. It's, they're all there. People think they take a pill to help their minds, but go back to the truth. That's where it has to be. And so very, very important. It says in, it says in um, 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Now, the word prophecy in this verse is not talking about predicting something nobody knows. That's not the point. Prophesize in this verse means you're speaking forth the truth. You're speaking forth the word of God. And what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, a great chapter, is that prophecy is the most important gift that we can have, important thing we can do, because you want to encourage people. You're speaking to them for their encouragement, for exhortation, for their consolation. That's what God wants for us. Another verse on this is is the Hebrews 10.25 verse. Encourage one another day after day, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We, we, live, we live in a country, we live in a culture, I hear things every day, I heard things this morning already, I've heard things yesterday. Whoa, this world, <laughs> do I say going to hell in a handbasket? It's not doing good, but that's fine. It's a dark world. It's an evil age. This is where God has us. It's not doing good. But God wants to be ones here who are lights to the world. That's what he wants. And this here, I think it makes it pretty clear that it's going to get worse and worse as the days go on. And it is. It's obvious what's going on in our country. It's obvious what's going on in the world. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of Christ drawing near. This encouraging one another with our speech is vital all the time. But all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please understand that. We continue. Speak wisely. Speaking wisely means you're speaking with wisdom. It means you know the right thing to say, the godly thing to say, and you say it in a loving, loving way, and you say it in a timely way. First, Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. A man has joy in an apt answer. How delightful is a timely word. So clearly it's not just what you say, but when you say it. 
I mean, even with my wife, sometimes we're talking, and I, I got a thought. And sometimes I blurt it out, and I shouldn't blurt it out. I should wait for the right time, the right time, the right time, okay? So you think about that with your speech. Should I say this now, or should I wait? Wait for the right time, and, and I believe there is the right time. There may be a, a, a particular problem, a question, or conflict that comes up, and God wants you to know what his word says relative to that situation. And then you have wisdom. Then you have wisdom. And then you can speak wisely to that person. That is, you know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Okay? I mean, be honest. I'm talking about this is a difficult area in that there's some real complexities of being a good communicator. Man, I've got to think about what to say and when to say it and how to say it. But, but the point I want to say is help, help you see this is a lifetime process. And hopefully by the time you're 60s, 70s, 80s, you're a pretty good speaker. Okay? Because, again, you've got all these years, 7, 8, 10, 12, 15,000 words a day. Hopefully you're thinking God's helping you to speak better and better and better, and that's what he wants. That's what he wants. So this is something you need to think about. Not, again, just what you're doing, but what you're speaking, what you're saying, how to use this tongue, this mind, this heart that God has given you. That's what he wants for you. Of course, Jesus was like this all the time. I mean, you think about this. And it's a good exercise. You go to the Gospels, and if you've got a red-letter version, it's pretty easy to see. There's Jesus' words. But if not, you can find Jesus' words. What did he say? When did he say it? We don't know how he said it. We can't hear him. We can imagine. Why did he say it? I mean, it, that's a really good thing to do. You're reading John or Matthew. Well, Jesus said this. Why did he say that? What did he say? And the words are precise. They're exact. God's word is exact. There's a reason he said that. And so you learn from that. But turn to Luke 2. I've, I've shared this before, but I just love this example. Love this example. And it shows you Jesus was learning at an early age in terms of how to communicate. Verse 45 to 47. This is when he was 12. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover they were going back home. They're in some kind of caravan, all kind of family members around. They said, man, where's Jesus? They had to go back, and they looked for him. And finally, they found him. Well, it said verse 45. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And I'm not going to take the time now, but listening to people and asking questions is critical to having good speech, critical to knowing what to say, critical to encouraging people. Listening and ask questions. You're having a dialogue. The two of you are sitting someplace, and you're listening, and you're asking questions, and finally you get the big picture. It's like in your mind you're trying to put the puzzle together as to how they're doing in some particular area. You put it together. Oh, I see. Now we see. Okay, then what's it say? And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So in his understanding, that is in his thought and thoughts in his mind, he could understand what was going on, and then he answered. The answer is the final thing. He was sitting, relaxed. The people could tell he wasn't in a hurry. Sitting there, listening, asking questions, understanding, and then answering. And that's important as we talk about speaking wisely and speaking as one who is encouraging others. As I indicated before, wisdom then also comes with experience. You've learned things through the years, and you should have more wisdom as you grow older and older then. You can speak more wisely, and as you've heard this phrase, speak from experience. Okay? Very important. That is, you want you to learn to be cumulative as you go through the years. Number six, do not speak unrighteously. Y'all know this one. I'll go over a few things. There's gossip. And this, people define these different ways, and, and this is how I define them. Gossip is something, saying something that's true about someone else, but it makes them look bad. It's true. But it might be some area of sin or some kind of weakness in life or some problem they're going through. You don't share that. You don't just gossip and tell everybody. That's not the right thing to do. You don't do that. Then there's slander, saying something bad about somebody that's not true. It's not true. And you shouldn't say it. It's a lie. It's defaming. It's not right. And the, the politics bothers me. Man, that's, politics is filled with this stuff, with gossip and slander. I mean, that's the name of the game, right? If you want to get an edge up on somebody, you slander, you gossip. That's the way it is. The ads, it's just, it's really sick. It's really sick. There's complaining. This is, this is important. Complaining. A person doesn't like his present situation, and he complains. 
lot of you, you look up complaint. There's a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of words for complaint. There's whining. Okay, there's there's griping. There's grumbling. There's fussing. There's moaning. There's belly aching. All basically meaning the same thing. We're not to do that. Rather, we are to do what? We're to trust God. We're to be thankful. That's what we're to do. And not then complain against God. As it says in Exodus 16, as Moses and Aaron talk to the people, and that's a chapter that graphically talks about how the people were grumbling because of their situations, lack of food and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And it says this. I think Moses says, Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. You're grumbling against the Lord. So remember that. Whether it's just something simple like the weather or whatever, you're grumbling. And, 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 and maybe as we're talking about this today, I would keep in mind just maybe a couple things here. But one is in terms of application, what are just one or two things? It might be I'm going to work on not complaining this week. One area. One area. And think about it. Say, Lord, help me not to complain. And, and, and you know what? We complain more than we realize. I really, really think if you pray about it, oh, man, I complain. Don't do it. Don't grumble against God. That's, that's, that's what it says. This next one, anger. Person's upset, irritated, mad at God or some person in his speech. You all understand this. We've probably all been angry in our speech. You've, I'm sure, heard other people who are angry in their speech. It's not good. Not right. There's coarse speech, vulgar speech, obscene talk, silly talk. This is Ephesians chapter 5, and it's talk that is not holy, that is not righteous, and it's worldly or fleshly, and it's not proper for a Christian to talk this way. It's not right. I like the way it says it in um, Titus, Titus 2.8. Be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, um, so that the opponents will be put to shame. Let your speech be sound. That's what God wants. Sound, sound speech. There's malicious speech, mean speech, cruel speech, hateful speech. I just heard this this morning in the news, but there was, um, I think it was 2021. Yeah, I'm, I'm, off. I'm sorry if I'm so off here, but I'm not sure if it was 4,000 or 400 hate crimes against, it was against, it was talking about Catholics there. Hate crimes. And so one of the big things in our world today, hate crimes, hate crimes. Well, as you can say, there's all kinds of crimes in our speech. It's not just hate. That's one of them. Man, there's all kinds of things. But that is definitely one. Don't want to hate. show hate in our speech. There's speech conveying unbelief. A person says something that shows he's doubting God, that he's not trusting God. He might be fearful, worried, or whatever it might be. There's taking God's name in vain. There's blasphemy. There's denouncing God. There's opposing God. There's saying something strongly against God. I've shared this example in the past, but I'll never forget it. There's an individual who lived up in Fern Street. You know, he passed away six, seven years ago. But here's the situation. I remember talking to him. Never forget this. He was mad at God, and he said, yeah, I'm, I says, I told God. I says, God, if you're there, you come down and you strike me dead. About six months later, he was dead. Coming back from Drew Park, where he should not have been, at 2 in the morning, walking across six lanes of traffic, Hillsborough Avenue, and he got hit by a car. That's what happened. Boy, sobering. But, of course, it wasn't just what he said, you know, and that blasphemy against God. It was from his heart. That's what was wrong. And I'd shared the gospel with him. It was just, just sad. There's fruitful speech. We know what it means to work with our hands where we can accomplish something that we can see. So it was, it, was, it was good yesterday. You're out there and you're working on the roses, you know, and doing a little trimming and doing some mulching. You know, they did some work. You go back to the utility room. Man, it is really amazing. They did a really good job back there. It's cleaned up. You know, you do something with your hands and you can see it. You've accomplished something. It's really rewarding, whether it's cooking a meal or cleaning a house or preparing something. There's all kinds of ways we can do things with our hands. But fruitful speech means we're saying something truthful and loving and wise, and it affects the other person in a good way, in a godly way, and in a way that's just really a blessing to them. That is, you're accomplishing something with your speech, and we don't think this way. What, am I, what can I do? Oh, I got something done. You can see it. That's fine. What can you do with your speech that is, is accomplishing something? This is what we're talking about is fruit. There's fruit. There's results from your speech, a positive outcome, good results from your speech. So you want to think that way. I want to do this now. I'm not, I don't, maybe I'll, 
I don't know how many do. If you got the if you got the handout, you can see I've got verses there. I believe I counted 116 verses I listed out on this this handout. And if you didn't get it, if they're out back there, you can go to the website. You'll find them. And this isn't all of them. This is not all the verses on speech. Okay, these 116. I don't know how many there are. I just I just I just went through about. Well, from chapter 10 through chapter 31, I just went verse by verse and picked out the ones I wanted. I want to just read some here. I'm not going to probably make, I might make a comment on one or two, but probably too, not too much. Um, Proverbs. And I would just say listen because I'm just going to be flipping pages here. Proverbs 10 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Verse 31 says the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Chapter 12, verse 17 says he who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceives. Verse 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Verse 19, truthful lips will be established forever. Ever. Chapter 13, verse 3, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes ruined. That's where it's talking about don't say something, which is really, again, that, that's an important point. There's something in your, 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 your thoughts and your mind and getting ready to say something. You've got to learn as a person how to stop what you're going to say if you think this isn't good. Because the thoughts are there, and, and you don't want to say all those thoughts. You don't want to bring them forth through your speech. Verse 14, same chapter, says the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside one from the snares of death. Chapter 14, verse 5, a trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Verse uh, chapter 14, verse 23, and all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. That's a biggie. Some people are just talkers. I, I tell Marsha this, and that person's a talker. They just talk, but they don't say anything. They just talk and talk and talk. Mere talkers. There's a lot of people like that in this world. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 2, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool sport, uh, mouth of fools spouts folly. Verse 4, A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion, uh, perversion in it crushes the spirit. And verse 18, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Hearts of the fools are not so. Chapter 15, 18. No, is that it? Okay, 15, 18. 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but slow to anger, calms a dispute. And then verse, um, chapter 18, verse 7. The mouth's, fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Chapter 20, verse 20 says, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be, go out in time of darkness. And there's many, many more. So as you can see, there's a lot of information. I'm just doing a skim job today on this area of speech. A lot of verses in, in Proverbs alone, a lot of verses all over the Bible. And, and that means what? This is an extremely important subject. Your success, your blessing as a Christian, relates directly to your ability to communicate truth and communicate in a loving way. The direct success and blessing of God on this church relates to our speech. Us as leaders to you, you one to another, and us as a church to people outside. Three dimensions, that's what it is. It relates directly to our speech. And so think about your speech. Ask God to help you be a good communicator, be encouraging, comforting, loving, and wise in your speech. So you can see, God can use you to have a powerful effect on the life of another person by your speech. Think that way. You can have a powerful effect on the life of another person by what you say, and also by what you don't say. That is, leave out the negative speech. Maybe just one thing that you say to somebody, but it may be that which affects that person for the rest of of their life. I've shared you the example of Rick Whitney's back in 1978. It was fall, September. And out at Brookside Park, Ames, Iowa, there's a number of us there, but eight of us were being recognized as deacons. Rick Whitney comes up to me, puts his hand in my shoulder, and says, fulfill your ministry. Never forget it. I'll never forget it. Fulfill your ministry. 45 years ago, it's still with me. One thing. Powerful. He just said one thing. Fulfill your ministry. Okay. I just... God used that. So, so that's, that's the point, that you, you want to 
by God's grace, be effective and fruitful with your speech. So, so be thinking about your speech. Be filled with God's word, God's truth. Pray about your speech. Learn more and more to think before you speak, and then speak the truth in love. Close with just two verses. Proverbs 18. Eighteen twenty-one says it really strongly here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So that is, do you love this message, this kind of message? Talk, you hope you love it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. One last couple of verses, John chapter 12. Verse um, 48 to 50. He rejects me and does not receive my sins, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So, in essence, what we're talking about here is, is learning from the Father himself how to speak. So here's Jesus. What's he saying? All that I've said, because the Father told me. The Father taught me. So he's our example. So I just say this. Ask God to help you. And, and again, um, you get up tomorrow morning. You got things to do? Say, Lord, help me to speak in a good and godly way today. That's how you want to think. And it might be something specific that I said. It may be just a general thing. But, but think that way. Today, God's going to help me to speak. And that's what he wants to do, okay? By his spirit, by his word, by the example of others. As you pray and trust him, that's what he will do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for bringing us together. Lord, this subject, as I think about it, it's a hard one for me because... I know I speak too, and I don't always speak right. And I sometimes just speak flippantly, and it may not be wrong what I said, but why did I say it? It's just a mere word, as we just read in Proverbs. Just help us, Father, each one. I know, Lord, that all of us to different degrees are effective in our speech, but might we be more effective? Might we be better speakers? Might we learn more and more not to say certain things and to say what's right? Might we be ones who are thinking about your truth, Lord, meditating on your truth, and then speaking forth from what's in our hearts? And speaking, Father, for your glory. But thank you for everyone here. I know there's ones who can't make it. I do again pray for both Carol's, Carol Hall and Carol Hardy. Help them in their health issues, Lord. And But just all of us, uh, different degrees, have different ailments. But we ask you to encourage us and strengthen us. Thank you for Bethel and Raphael and their church. Might you bless them and lead them and use them, God, for your purposes and glory. But again, we, we entrust this time to you. Thank you for the... The, the meal we have, we bless you that you provide all our needs, Lord. Thank you that you give us that. And you're so good. All that you give to us is good. And, and we thank you for that. So thank you again for this time now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one more thing I want to say. I think you're all aware.